Welcome, one and all. It is the Hillcrest Duo. This is our 40th episode spectacular. It is Saturday, July 30th, 2016. I am the host today. I am Brad Risto, at OutsiderBrad on Twitter. Joining me, as always, here on the Hillcrest Duo is my esteemed colleague, Mr. Metal John. Hello, Mr. Brad. I am on Twitter at Metal John Radio. Dun, dun, dun. Yes, as I said, this is episode 40. I promised a spectacular, but in reality, it's kind of just a regular episode. But we are glad to have you along for the ride. We have a few things we want to talk about. We're going to be talking about the killing joke you saw in theaters, which we will get um, uh, more info on that later. But we also wanted to get, go into basically what we were most excited to talk about last week. And that was the entire season of Stranger Things, the Netflix original series that has pretty much come out of really nowhere and taken the world by storm. Because I don't remember much of a build-up for this show nope. before they no released it. And then it just comes out, and it is just truly amazing what they did here to capture the nostalgia of a bunch of 80s franchise. It's all in one tightly knit ball. Yeah, eight episodes only. It's on Netflix. Mm-hmm. It just came out maybe two weeks ago. Yes, uh, we've got. Uh, we're going to dedicate the majority of the show talking about this, and there will be a lot of spoilers. We oh both, God! Yes. We both finished all eight episodes, yes. all eight hours. A um, lot of lot of thoughts, a lot of different thoughts on mm-hmm. this show. Uh, so, spoilers warning: we will talk uh, full spoilers on it. And uh, just like you said, Brad, it really did come out of nowhere. I I go on Netflix pretty much four or five days a week when yeah. I'm commuting to work and there was a little advertisement for the show and it had that poster with all the kids and I was like, oh, this looks kind of cool and it's yeah. got these weird Stephen King titles to it, you know, like this, mm-hmm. you know, the... the and the, the posters kind of look like a Star Wars Elmo yeah. one. So I, I watched the preview for it and I was like, whoa, this looks cool. I'm going to watch this. And then it came out a few days later and I watched one episode I think I emailed you or texted you right away. I was like, Brad, you got to watch this show. Everybody's going to be talking about it. Yeah. It's awesome. Sure enough, everybody's talking about it. Speaking of that, right before we got on the air, Aaron Paul, star Breaking Bad, he tweeted, Duffner Brothers, thank you. Sincerely, everybody. Yes. Hashtag Stranger Things. It, it is <laughs> just mean, a true... that's Everybody's like really just falling in love in, with the show and talking about this show. Yes. I, I honestly, I know we're going to... we're. We're gonna we're getting into it, yeah. But I mean, and this is sort of a bold statement for me, Brad. Mm-hmm. But I can't find anything about the show I don't like. You see, I have a few um small nitpicks with some things, which we I'll get to later. But overall, the story arc is just great, as you um are left guessing throughout the entire series on what the heck is actually going on. Well, and, and we talk, we'll start off a little bit on the look and the feel of the show. I mean, it's got that 80s set. It's got a great 80s yes. soundtrack featuring artists like The Clash and, and Foreigner and Toto. I mean, it's got some really great music. And then that opening title, I mean, probably one of the coolest. They're all playing right here. This is the, this is the opening title for yes. it. I mean, it's got that. You see it eight times. As everything comes together, it's that synth of sound, and it has that, like, what they thought was great um, uh, graphics back in the um, uh, mid-'80s. Like, you, well, you, the, you, the graphics are, like, very Stephen King-ish, yeah. you know? But you would have seen this on, like, um, television at, at 7 p.m. like, oh, my God, look at that. That's so cool. I can't believe I did that. But the sets are so 80s. You see wood panel everything. 
the big old Lazy Boy recliner, some uh, obviously old shag carpeting. Everything is just a great period piece. Yeah, I mean... And even when they're running around, you see a radio shack. Like, this is something where if you watch this without knowing who was behind it... I mean, basically, the Duffner brothers are, are, are people we don't know. Yes. And these are, they're brand new, and, and they're going to they're gonna be huge superstars now, oh, yeah. thanks to this show. But if you watch us without ever seeing who created the show, and, and you had to put down a list of, uh, Brad, I'm going to give you three guesses as who's behind this show. Your three guesses are going to be Steven Spielberg, J.J. Yep. Abrams, yep, yep. <laughs> and who else? Maybe Coen Brothers? I guess. I mean, the I, the Coen, Coen Brothers, Brothers kind of. Coen Brothers are very attention to detail. Maybe. Like with all of their films, every single scene, every single frame, there's so much attention to detail. And I kind of got that vibe watching the show as well. Maybe PTA, Paul Thomas Anderson? I could see Possibly, but, you know, really, he doesn't get too much bridging. into the sci-fi stuff. If he were bridging out, I could yeah. see this being a PTA But definitely J.J. Abrams, yes. Steven Spielberg, that's what you get all over the show right away. But it is just a wonderful, wonderful love letter to all a bunch of 80s tropes. I mean, obviously, you got a lot of the Goonies in there. You have E.T. Oh, the bike chase scene, the too. Bike chase you could scene. You could tell that that was... It wasn't a copy of E.T., but it, it was, was a... a homage. Exactly. And you have to, in this case, you have to um, emphasize the H because it's that good. It's a homage. Not an homage. Homage. Yeah. I mean, I also, very early in the show, got a lot of those, you know, J.J. Abrams vibes from, like, yes. the movie Super 8 that he did a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Also, you get a little bit of that Close Encounters of the Third yep. Kind kind of feel to it. Um, let's talk about the cast. Yes. Um, I, I'm going to make a bold statement right now. Uh, Millie Brown is 11. Fantastic. Yeah, she was great. I mean, probably the best. I mean, out of all the cast members mm-hmm. on the show, I'm 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 picking Millie Brown, eleven, as the star of the well, show. She had the most dynamic arc out of everyone because she comes in as this introverted um, uh, outsider that really doesn't know anything about interaction, and she ends pretty much as a badass. As she, um, uh, full spoilers here, completely taking out whatever the hell that monster was. Yeah, and just. Completely destroying it, and it would seem herself, but that's one of the questions we'll get to later. What the questions we want answered who, for season two? Who uh, who would you say is your your MVP of the show? You know, I, I like Mike. Mike, like Mike, if I could be like Mike. You know, because uh, he's I, I, heroic. He's a leader. Yeah, he's. I'm trying to keep all his friends together and save his friend, and he's trying to figure out this mystery. It's awesome. My my runner up to uh, eleven is Dustin. Uh, he just Dustin was that kid that just he reminded me of you. Uh, not so much of me, <laughs> but he reminded me of just that typical kid that kind of thinks outside the box. Yes, you know he's he he's. People are saying, you know, that's a book, and he's thinking to himself, well, maybe it's not a book. Maybe it's just a bunch of papers. I also out. like Luke you know Lucas. he's one of those guys. Well, that Lucas just, is fun too. I like yeah. him. I mean, he's kind of a joke but he's still good because eh? he comes um uh, is comes out comes around to 11 in the end well not in the end but before the end as they keep this goonies vibe going yeah i mean uh the big star of the show winona Ryder, yes. uh who plays joyce uh, byers um you know she she was okay i mean she mm-hmm. was she's got i mean to me that the, the young cast and then you agree yeah. with me on this is the young cast really steals the show it's really the yes. part of the show the kids not even the, the teenagers but um all right so i'll tell you what let's go through this we're going to try to piece together the you know 
what's going on in this town. We'll start from the beginning, episode one. Right. Will, Will Byers, kid, all these kids are playing Dungeons and Dragons. Something I never played. You think that's something oh, I, I played would have it? Played? <laughs> I have. I have the only thing I have that's an equivalent is um I did a Kickstarter a couple about a year ago. I got the Ghostbusters board game, which is basically a beginner's version of that. And I still haven't played it. I want to break it out and play it with someone, but you need like four people, and I only and I'm only me. Yeah. So these uh, group of friends that are all playing Dungeons and Dragons. Yes. Will Byers decides to head home. He leaves and goes missing. Yes. The next morning, um, while everybody's searching for Will, uh, this mysterious girl Eleven shows up at a random restaurant. Mm-hmm. She appears to be homeless, runaway. We really don't know what what her background is. And, and this guy at the restaurant decides to help her out. He calls child services. Just to be like, look, uh, I don't know who this kid I is. Get, I got this kid here, and it's a runaway. And then probably the first like badass moment, or what WTF moment of the show comes, right? Mm-hmm. Is when that girl shows up and just puts a bullet in the back of his head. Yeah. I mean, that was like, I remember watching that, and that was like the first, whoa! The, the lady from the, the, the lab, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so um, to try that get- just kind of adds like a whole new... Mystery, what the like, heck is going what on? What is going here? on here? Uh, and at the same time, Will's mom's kind of going a little crazy. Yes. She's hearing voices on the phone. She thinks it's her son, Will. Um, and, you know, and then all of a sudden she starts getting these, what I always interpret it as just visions. Mm-hmm. She's got these visions of like this monster coming out of the wall. Mm-hmm. And then the Christmas light thing comes into play with her. Yes. Where she kind of makes a Ouija board out of Christmas lights. Yes. And. She's able to communicate with her son. With Will. Who's, uh, Which, and then, this is, I mean, the show's called Stranger Things. This is definitely probably one of the strangest no, things No, the strangest the thing probably was when the you see the tear and they can't quite get to each other. Yeah. But at that point, I'm thinking like, okay, the, the, could these guys be doing the untrustworthy narrator type thing that we see in Ro- Mr. Robot where you can't trust what we're seeing because maybe it is just her going psychotic because the yeah. kid is dead. Yeah, I mean, and everybody's starting to picture her as being the psychotic one, the crazy mm-hmm. one. She's Will's crazy mom, you know, who's you know can't accept the fact that her son is dead. And speaking of that, Will's body shows up, and uh, apparently, allegedly, uh, yeah, and apparently her her superstitions have kind of bled over to Chief Hopper, who yes. decides to go and investigate Will's body. Finds out it's a fake, a phony. A, fa- so, a fake body full of cotton. <laughs> that ain't good. Um, but then we, you know, going back to this mysterious girl uh, story, you Eleven. know. Um, Al. Yeah, Al. Uh, you know, just a girl with no name. She's got a tattoo of 11 on her, so they start calling her L for 11. And and then her story is kind of told in flashbacks where yes. it appears that she was part of this lab. Um, she apparently escaped. She's got some powers where she can move things with her mind. Um, I mean, that scene where she broke that guard's neck was pretty, <sighs> pretty badass. She was just throwing a temper tantrum as she turned around and yeah, his neck be broken. Poor um, guy. but you know, what makes it, you know, just adding to the strange factor, they start experimenting with her where they're putting her in this water tank thing. Mm-hmm. And she's able to communicate with this alien, or, or she's able to Monster, hunt the alien. alien, whatever it is. So um, we're kind of getting, you know, some backstory to her. Uh, you know, meanwhile, the kids seem to think that Will they don't still don't believe he's dead. Yeah, they never really believed it. 
Yeah, so this is just um, now, very, very, uh, very strange. I mean, tons of questions come up in this show, and yes. that's what makes it it's such a great show is that every episode I really feel like you're getting a little bit of answers, but then you're getting more questions. Yes, okay, before we do get into the questions we have for the upcoming second season, as I'm sure they will have one, I want to get on to the things I didn't like. And one of the things I didn't like was the grade school bullies. I thought they started out okay, but then at the end of episode six, he comes at him with a switchblade. Oh, yeah. I'm like, what the hell? I mean, I knew a lot of jerks in grade school. None of them would come after me with a grade school, I just, with a, a switchblade. I thought that was a bit too much for me to swallow because... Okay, you could have them. Well, chasing- I kind of had that Stand by Me thing to it because didn't uh, Kiefer Sutherland's bully character in Stand by Me didn't he have a knife? I think he uh, had a knife I don't- uh, on those kids too. But all right, go ahead. But, but the, it wasn't a ten-year-old. Yeah, that was my problem. It was the fact it was the ten-year-old coming at him with a knife, and the other problem is the kid is obviously a little punk because after he gets beat up, he runs and tells his mom. So obviously, he has an involved mother. Meaning, what was his plan after he either kills um, uh, yeah, was he really gonna was he really gonna slit his throat? Slit his throat, or if um, uh, Michael had actually um, uh, plummeted to his death, what was his plan gonna be? Well, he made me pee myself, so I made him kill himself. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, his plan was stupid, and that's where I that was one of the issues I didn't like. Obviously, really, really small. One of the more substantive issues I didn't like was the high school love triangle drama where the bully, for no reason, after getting his ass absolutely handed to him, decides not to be a jerk anymore. I'm like, what the hell? You've been a jerk this entire movie and now you're not? Why? Just because you got beat up? That was the biggest problem I had. His character motivation was completely muddled and lost. That could have been completely cut and I would have been fine with it. So that's... I'm glad you brought that up because that is kind of one of my questions uh, I was going to throw out to you. Because So you're talking about the love triangle between uh, Nancy Wheeler, yes, uh, Steve Harrington. Steve is the guy who kind of looks like John Raphael from Parks and Rec. Yeah, the jock. Um, he's Ish like the guy. jockey dude. You know, Nancy's the, the, like the good girl preppy. next door. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and Steve and Nancy hook up. Um, meanwhile, one of her friends went missing too. Yes. And, and really that, that storyline kind of died. That, you know? Well, no, she, you, you find her body. She's dead. Yeah. And she, then, but it was a way for her to hook up with Jonathan. Exactly. So and then, hunt for his brother and her friend. Yeah. So then Jonathan comes into the picture as being kind of like that creepy dude. And, um, as, as we learn more about these characters going into the final two episodes, we learn that Steve is basically a punk, bully punk. Mm-hmm. He's got the girl. You know, he's got the pretty girl in school. She likes him because she doesn't see him for his punk side yes. or his bully side. Jonathan, on the other hand, is like one of those, you know, guys that just he's the good guy. Mm-hmm. He means well, even though he comes across a little creepy. Yep. Um, and I mean, she's the guy that he should end up with. And all signs are kind of pointing to at the end of the series that. She's going to end up with him. Yep. But Doesn't when you happen. fast forward a month later, nope. she's still with Steve, and there's still a connection with John because she gives him that Christmas present, mm-hmm. and they put a lot of focus on that Christmas present. And then afterwards, she sits on the couch with Steve, and he's like, oh, did you give him the Christmas present? So he 
that makes that triangle such a weird triangle, but Way too, I think was, I think what the I think what the Duffner brothers are trying to do there is they're trying to tell us they want to put some mystery in there is what's in that box. Right. And and and, and why does Steve care that she gave it to John in sort of a sympathetic way? It was too unsettled, but I knew I knew one thing that John was going to beat someone's button since we saw him drop the camera like Okay, that, he's going to get his ass kicked because when he went to see his deadbeat dad in episode two, you're like, hey, you're getting stronger. I'm like, okay, so this guy's going to kick someone's ass at some point in this. And boy, how did Steve get his ass kicked? Oh, man, when he was all bloody, he, was all, he almost looked like Two-Face. Yeah, he just kept, <laughs> he just went to town. I mean, I think Steve thought he was going to be a pushover, and then it was just bam, bam, bam. Now, I do have some questions. I suppose. Suppose the most tantamount question is, where's Eleven? Is she dead, or is she just in um, uh, the Upside Down? Yeah, I, there's no way in hell Eleven's dead. No, like, she's got Being the MVP of this show, uh, Millie Brown, Eleven, have to come back for another but season. But why? Why not just um, let her story be do- done? Because she had this great story arc, and why continue it? Why ruin it? Because a lot of so- times, we've talked about this in the past, where they um, uh, extend a story too far, Maybe just let her story be done and well, let it, her be the badass. Well, uh, I mean, I think uh, I think Eleven, um, I think she's still alive, and and we're sort of led to believe that way because in that fast forward at the end with a month later, you know, uh, Chief Hoppers delivers some egos to this box and in the middle was, of the woods, and and that was my because there's egos in there. You have to assume it's for Eleven. Yes. But the bigger question here isn't is if she's still alive. It's why is she living in the woods? That was my second question. What did Chief Hopper hear when he went into that government vehicle at the at the end? At the yeah. End? What 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 deal did he make there? Since obviously he made the deal to sell out Eleven earlier. Yeah, he made the deal to sell her out. Lando Calrissian. Lando Calrissian. <laughs> um. But. Another question to throw out to is, what's next for Will? We see Will That's basically the, that throwing up a black a, goop. Yeah, I mean, I'm assuming yeah. that this thing planted eggs in him. Like something's gonna bust out of him, like alien. Or is he turning into one? Maybe he's turning into one. Or does he now have powers too? Yeah, any number of ones. But yes, Were that you... was the last question I had. What is the future for Will? Who, when you first started watching this series, you're like. Oh, this kid's gonna be the star. I like him, and then he's dead. Well, here's 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 something a lot of people are debating too: is what's your theory on this alien? Um, is the alien something from another planet that just happened to come into this town, or did the lab maybe create this monster? You see, I think they created it. So I, I'm kind of thinking that too because it seems weird that it kind of lives in this what they call the upside down. Yes, alternate but dimension. There's, but there's other way. There's other ways to get into it. There's a clear way to walk right into it from the lab. Yes. But then in the woods, Nancy finds a way to get through a tree into it. There are, and then Will's mom Joyce can get into it from the walls. Mm-hmm. So there's. So it's almost like it. It, it exists in, in our universe. It exists everywhere, and there's just like little portals that get into it. Yes. That is the big question. It's one of the ones we um, are definitely going to be looking forward to as we move on and uh, hopefully see a season two. Yeah, I'm really excited about uh, about another season. As of right now, a second season hasn't been announced. It hasn't been picked up by Netflix. 
But Netflix would be really stupid if they did not lock in a second season right now for this show. Oh, God. And, Goodness and, gracious, and, yes. And I'm sure the Duffner Brothers already have plans and ideas for what they oh, would they, do in a second they, season. They've already planted the seeds. We already know it. So it's just a matter of it being announced. And, you know, there is um, another comic convention coming up very soon, and it's one right here in the Chicago area. Yeah, I mean, there's – I'm, I'm pretty I'm, – Pretty, uh, pretty happy overall with this show, and and I mean, I I absolutely loved every single episode. I mean, I wasn't bored at all watching no. the show. Um, you know, I I know you kind of pointed out a couple little things that bothered you, they're, they're, and, and, and I can understand, and I and I could understand, you know, those things, you know. Um, but over an analyst, you can find anything. But as we close out here, I mentioned Comic Con. I think we should speak about a Comic Con because last week. The Killing Joke premiered at San Diego Comic-Con. You saw it Monday night. I have now seen it as well. Killing Joke, the... R-rated animated Batman movie. R-rated animated movie uh, based on the Alan Moore classic graphic novel. We've both seen it, so we'll give our review here now. Um, Metal, what did you think of it? I I loved it. You see, I am uh, with the utter majority that um, it wasn't all that good. Because when you look at the they reviews, followed the story. They did, and that was part of part. That is they kind did of, a great job. You have oh, to, they, they did, did a great job capturing the iconic images from the graphic novel and putting it into. They this movie. did go beat for beat with the um, graphic novel. I will give them that. And the problem with that is the story has not aged well. I mean, when you read, first of all, some of the dialogue is very stilted because they lifted it straight from the novel, so it doesn't quite translate from book form to actual hearing it. And also, this is obviously the biggest controversy, is the prologue basically featuring Batgirl is where most of the um, uh, ire seems to be directed. Because it basically turned her from a badass superhero into a codependent whiner who's um, uh, relying entirely on Batman and waiting for him to call. In fact, there's an actual scene where she's waiting for him to call. And he brings her coffee. And she brings her. Coffee. And then they have bat sex. And then they have bats. Yes, they have bat sex. So it turns her from the the badass who's completely independent and doesn't need anyone really to being completely codependent upon Batman. And a lot of people don't like what they did to her character. Yeah. No. I mean, and I can understand that. I mean, but I think since that was mostly the first chapter of yes. of the movie, as you got past that, from the minute the Joker knocks on the door, shoots her kidnaps gordon from there the movie kind of goes into a whole new arc and i think i sort of put the batgirl storyline in the back of my head and i was just kind of living in like all right it's awesome we got the joker it's got gordon the fun house is coming up like all this cool stuff is coming up now let me ask you this as the as the story wraps up if you were to decide whose movie is this who would you say is it batgirl's movie batman's movie or the joker's movie jim gordon it's jim gordon's story him, uh, um, despite the fact that he was trying to be broken, wouldn't he has to be taken in by the book. That's what the story has always been about. I was about to bring that up. This story was always about Jim Gordon and him uh, triumphing over the insanity that um, uh, Joker tried to instill upon him. So I'm going with Jim Gordon. Who do you think it is? Um, because the, the, ending, the-, the ending makes me think it's the Joker's movie. Or the Joker's story, only because of the fact that he tried to break Commissioner Gordon, and it did Failed. not work. But at the end, he got Batman to laugh. So it's like, hmm, I didn't break Gordon, 
but I did get Batman to laugh. So, I mean, <laughs> that's why I kind of feel like it's more the Jokers. I mean, at least it's definitely a Joker ending. <laughs> oh, yes. Okay, now here's the big question, because this is a question that has been raging since 1988 when The Killing Joke was written and released. Does Batman kill the Joker? No. You don't think he kills him? I don't think so. Even he, though he was kind of fighting that in his head the whole time. Because that was the whole thing, that he knew that eventually one will kill the other, and he even admitted, I might kill you. I think that that laughter is the last vestige of, um, at least at the time, of Batman's sanity, and he choked the guy out. And that's possible. I mean, that's what I, a lot I mean, of I do love believe. how they open it for... You can it, fill in the blank because <laughs> that was one of the one the one thing that I was interested to see how they were going to do it because I knew how the original Killing Joke ended. It just panned down and you just see rain you, and the silence end. The laughter ends and becomes silence. They were able to do that here, spot on, and you still don't really know what happened. So it once again is left entirely open to your interpretation. And I could definitely see him have killed um uh, Joker off just right then and there. Yeah, that's that's possible. Now, the reason why I am a kind of um, a split on this movie, and I don't think it's all that good, is entirely because of what you said, that the movie really starts for you when uh, Barbara gets shot. It basically seems just like two episodes of the Batman a animated series back-to-back -back that really even aren't all that connected. It's like, okay, here's episode one, and here's episode two, The Killing Joke. And that's kind of my problem, is the um, first half of the movie is completely independent of the rest of the movie. You don't yeah. need it. You can cut it. It's not needed. Move on. And no, that's, I, I, that's I, my problem. I agree, but they're also telling you the story from the book, so they're they're kind of, you know, they're just following the... I mean, if they would have changed everything, if they would have made the whole first half of the movie separate from, from the graphic novel, I think you would have a whole new group of people pissed saying, you're rewriting the book. You see, it was just, um, I think they... Um, uh, I tried to do too much. I realized they wanted it to be a movie, so it had to be over an hour, so they had to do the padding. I just feel some of the choices they made in that padding half were unfortunate. That's all, but... No, I mean, but... I, 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 all right, so outside of that, I mean, it's rated oh, it's a, R. I, I, it's, a good, know, it's a good story. I, it's told well, very well voice acted. Oh, yeah, Tara Strong, Mark Hamill, and, you know... Kevin uh, Conroy. Obviously Conroy. I mean, having... having Three great voices doing their thing. Um, I like hearing John. Liked hearing John DiMaggio as the mob boss. Yeah, <laughs> he's one of my favorite voice actors. Yeah, I, I really liked it. I understand I'm biased, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I, I mean, if I'm going to take something out of this movie, though, I think I take out the bat sex scene. I thought that was like a little. Well, that's the big. Th that, that is that, the that's biggest something issue. That where a lot have. of people are just like, uh, you don't really need. It's this. father daughter, and it's kind of creepy. Yeah. Creepy, creepy, creepy. And I would have made the funhouse scene more graphic. Like, I can understand I, that. Like, I would have took out the sex scene, but I would have put – I would have made – I mean, even though the sex scene really isn't a full-on sex scene, it's like what Batgirl takes off her shirt. And mm -hmm. then and then the camera fades and looks over to the city, and then, you know, and then that's the end of it. But um, the funhouse thing, like when all the images were flashing on the, on the monitors and stuff – I'm I'm thinking, all right, this is where it's going to earn its R rating. This is where it's going to be really graphic. Right. And I really felt a little let down that it wasn't because I felt like that R rating gives you the chance to push the bar. Uh -huh. And I'm, I, I, I give them a lot of props. They didn't put in a cussing. They didn't put in, you know, they could have, like, had 
some F-bombs from, from right. some of the mobsters or something. They really didn't do that, but they did the violence, and it's pretty awesome. Like, okay. I loved, like, you know, when somebody got shot in the back of the head, just blood went everywhere. It was awesome. Mm-hmm. I do have to ask you a question. Did you catch the um, uh, reference to the Dark Knight in the movie? And Batman 89. Well, both of them. But did, Yes, you, I did. I'm sure everyone did, but the Dark Knight one was a lot easier to catch. The Dark Knight one was easier to catch. You know what, I, though? I noticed the Batman 89 one first because uh, there's the scene where all the Joker images yes. are up. The top left is the Joker sitting on a beach, mm-hmm. and he's got the umbrella. It's just from, from Batman 89 where he was doing the, the commercial for Yeah, the, you for see, the, the one that I caught and first. And then the was, one right in the I, middle, dead center, is Joker in the jail cell. Yes, and that's the one I caught first. Yeah, but it was um, it was a it's a it's a good movie. Um, right now you can get it. You can't rent it anywhere, so I wouldn't uh buy it. I did because I had to watch it, obviously. But it's an entertaining one overall. It's a tr- um a very um a true telling of the Alan Moore classic. It just I don't think it's aged well because obviously a lot of the images can be somewhat um uh, off putting. And I got to give big props to Warner Brothers for putting this in theaters for two nights. I went, they did Monday night and Tuesday night. They did like 7.30 and 10 o'clock shows. I went to the 7.30 Monday night show, the very first screening of it, and sold out theater. They actually had sold tickets for the theater next to it and put people in that one. So they had two sold out theaters of people watching this. Cool. And people, like the audience really just got into it. Like they showed a cool little uh, 10-minute intro of Mark Hamill talking about how he got the job as being the Joker uh, on the animated series. A lot of behind the scenes of him sitting in his studio doing his Joker voices. Um, that was really awesome. And then the movie starts. And, and uh, I think I think audience reaction, I think the, the one part that got the biggest audience reaction was when Batman says, swear to me. <laughs> that was, you know, taken yes. straight out of, you know, uh, uh, Batman Begins. Mm-hmm. Oh, it, it. it was a, it's an entertaining one overall, but it's sort of um uh, kind of not long lasting in my opinion. But yeah, I mean, it, I, it does it hold up to uh, what I think the best animated Batman movie, Mask of the Phantasm? No, probably not. I mean, that yeah. still probably goes down as the best animated Batman movie. But this is up there in my opinion. I really, I just really enjoyed it. It was enjoyable, but uh, as all things must, we've come to the end of another episode here of the Hillcrest Duo. We want to thank everyone for listening. Always glad to have you. I am Brad Risto, Outsider Brad on Twitter. He is Metal John. At Metal John Radio on Twitter. Thank you once again for listening. We will be back. Suicide Squad next week. We will be back um, uh, um, in one or two weeks, but whenever we hear from you again, it's always great to have you. You have been listening to the Hillcrest Duo.